0: This is an eavesdropping conversation. I am Jenny Gottschalk. And today I am talking to eavesdropping's founder and artistic director, Juliet Fraser.
1: Hi, Jenny.
0: Hi. (laughs) So I wanted to start with actually something I dug up in my email inbox from August 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's an email you sent me where you started off saying, I have had the mad, bad idea of starting a series here in London. I tried to resist, but it seems to be happening. (laughs) Um, And that's when I first got an inkling about eavesdropping. Um, And from a vantage point of now, I know it's one thing to start something or to have an idea to start something. It's another thing to be going into the third series in you know, unusual circumstances. And even in the beginning, there were unusual circumstances with the renovation of the church and all Mm. sorts of things happening. Um, I guess my main question is, what was the initial drive and what's the sort of continuing drive and impetus to make this really unusual and wonderful thing that you've done?
1: It's a really nice question, um, and hearing it articulated like that makes me realise that there, is, there really are two different answers. The The thing that inspired me to, to create such a thing, such a tiny venture, um, is not the same as what is now driving me to keep it going. So it started because I fell in love with the chapel, that little wooden creaky, leaky chapel in Oxford House. It's such a beautiful space, isn't it? And I'd been practicing there for probably about um, five years at that point. And I just really wanted to bring other people in there. It it had plastic buckets all over the floor and um, because it leaked, Um, but I nonetheless thought that it probably was possible because it was very small to, to get 30 or 40 people in to listen to some music Um, so that was the initial idea and then when I started thinking that year about who I would program it rather unexpectedly to me became a celebration of female artists of female performers female music makers Um, and it became something quite intimate and quite informal and Uh, about building community I think and then in terms of what keeps it going now I would say it's no longer about the chapel um, though that is very much at the heart of it still it's really it's about the artists and it's about the response that I have had from them and have from them about what the what eavesdropping means to them what the platform means what the community means what the opportunity means
0: and that's that's so precious that I can't stop. (laughs) Can you give any examples even just broadly or anonymously of what people have said?
1: Yeah I think there are two themes really one is how unusual it is for a promoter to give an artist complete freedom about what they perform. So I I give them complete free reign to choose whatever it is that serves them best at that point and no repertoire is announced in advance. Um, So that seems to be unusual and um, valuable to them or to us, I suppose, because I am, am one of them. And then the other thing that I would say, um, well, you were part of the first year's symposium, but the the feedback after that about what it had meant for people to come together. And I think it matters that it's not hundreds of people. I think we were about 45 people or something that that first weekend for the symposium. People to come together in a non-academic, non-institutional context to discuss some pretty meaty topics um in a I, I don't know somehow a spirit of mutual support and respect that that kind of thing that's not something really that you can set out to do necessarily but it's a kind of a m- magic that did turn up
0: well it's a tone that gets set too in in the whole Maybe. framework and i i certainly i feel like you very much set that tone and we were there as as whole people <laughs> you know and and I. I think it's interesting to try to um, continue that minus place, minus the shared place. Right. To try to show up for each other as whole people somehow, um, even if we're all piping in, in our Hollywood squares. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I think that what you mentioned about not putting any constraints on the programming, that seems to me like it comes straight from your own practice yeah as I mean that's probably not the instruction that you're given most times
1: yeah it's true I I do feel frustrated when um when I'm having to adapt programs that have really been conceived thematically or um, even just conceived in terms of the stuff that I'm really passionate about at the moment, and then you offer it to a promoter and they say, well, you know, we'd we'd love the first half of it, but then we'd love you to sing that for the second half, or um, sometimes people look at your repertoire and then construct a program that is totally impractical in terms of the vocal demands or the the tech that's required to support it. so, yes, that choice to give the eavesdropping artist freedom is definitely a response to my own experience. And I, I just think that you get the best results like that. I, th- I think the artists know what they're going to perform well. They, they kn- know the music better than anybody else. They know how it feels to to perform it. Um, so I think it's a win win situation for everybody, actually.
0: Yeah, it makes all kinds of sense, and you know how would they not be the experts in in the programming of the stuff that they're right. they're doing? As you've been working on eavesdropping, have you found interesting sort of linkages or connections with your vocal practice? Um, it could be anything, just very immediate, or or more abstract connections and skills, or just resonances between. Between the making of this festival and the evolution of it, and in your own practice.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure actually. Um, they do feel quite distinct, but it's not it's not a new thing, of course, for me to administrate something because I um, co-founded Audi Vocal Ensemble and and ran that for twelve years. So I've been on both sides of the of the stage, if you like, on it and um, oh. backstage or in the office. Before. Um, I think, in terms of programming something like eavesdropping, um, the sort of singing work that I now do, uh, traveling around a lot and meeting a lot of different people in different territories, definitely helps. And I like encountering people and thinking, would they fit into eavesdropping or having conversations with people wherever I go um, to ask them who the exciting artists are. So so I think there's some overlap there. And then maybe just in terms of the, the previous question, I suppose just the more, the longer that I am a performing artist, maybe the stronger ideas that I have about what I want to try and offer other performing artists.
0: That's great. There's a, there's a sort of generosity that becomes possible when you have that practice that builds.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely right. I, I'm very satisfied in my work and feel extremely fortunate to, to do the performing that I do. Um, And I think it's probably true to say that 10 years ago, I didn't have that same level of satisfaction. So perhaps didn't have quite so much to give, if you like.
0: Yeah, I want to ask a little bit about decisions that you've made around programming, scheduling. Um, you know, how, how have you sort of decided to do the scheduling in the virtual environment? And, and this is the second one that's mostly online, mm. right, at this point. Um, what sort of factors have figured into your decisions?
1: Yeah, it's probably it's probably pretty arbitrary, but the the second season last year switched online halfway through. So we we started with our usual monthly series, January and February happening in the flesh. And then in March, suddenly had to adapt to switch online. This year um, was planned to run in the same way as the previous two seasons did with the series happening with one event a month. And I was also determined initially not to do it online again. It, feel, it The liveness and the intimacy of live performance feels so much part of eavesdropping. And then I just did a U-turn, mainly because I'd been talking to artists who said or were indicating that they wanted the opportunity to get in a room and do something even with no audience. I thought, OK, well, my job is to respond if there are people that are wanting to do that. Um, and then really it was the pandemic that prompted me to to shift to a festival format to run everything in a single week because I was so tired of having to second guess what was gonna happen and what wasn't going to happen because of travel restrictions or um, lockdown regulations. And I thought if we're having one event a month, I'm gonna be stressed out for every single one trying to second guess what's happening. Whereas at least if we shift it into a single week, then it'll either happen or it won't but (laughs) the whole experience will be less stretched out
0: (laughs) and also I think even even when it's all you know online that makes a better prospect for relationship building when when there's a sense of continuity
1: yeah it may do and actually I had been flirting with with that shift even apart from the pandemic and I'm I haven't decided yet which model we might look at for season four but it'll be very interesting to see how it feels this season to run it in a single week the other consideration is that all of this has to fit between my performing engagements so um so i have already started looking at the 2022 diary and trying to work out which model which version might actually be possible for that year um it's not clear
0: yet it's really interesting to think about the symposium and my experience of the first one, mm. um, especially with what I felt is that emphasis on whole personhood that yeah. was somehow just the whole tenor of it. What do you think is the potential of the symposium in parallel with these concerts? And what, what have you seen within the symposium? As people and ideas sort of bounce against each other.
1: Well, it's it's a shared excitement somehow. That's what that's what I sense. It's quite gentle, but it's this um, this collective sense of excitement at witnessing other people's ideas, or other people's creativity. And we're so used to that in a concert format, I suppose. But in the symposium, you get the sense that practitioners are coming together and sharing a different side of themselves, reflections on their own practices or reflections on themes such as collaboration or um, boundaries or identity or um, well, climate change and activism that we had last year. So I think there's a sort of collective sense of, of the potential actually, the potential for change or for community. Community is a really loaded word but I do I do feel that it's an important part of what eavesdropping stands for. There's often a sense that people are surprised at what others are up to, that there there is this activity going on out there in the world that, like I say, isn't part of a formal institutional or academic context and therefore is more welcoming of them as non-institutional, non-academic practitioners. And inclusion is something that I'm thinking about more and more. It was it was always a space to bring people that make together. Um, but I'm thinking more about how we can widen the eavesdropping family to represent a, a greater diversity, the diversity of our scene, the diversity of our world. Um, and one of the big questions for me, well, it's always been a question about how public or demonstrative to be about my female-centred programming but um, as the debate about gender transgender or non-binary gender or gender identity rages and appropriately so I am doing some examining of my own language about that Um, yeah I think it's something that it's very important to keep thinking about and that, that I keep on broadening my mind and
0: hearing from others about what they need, really. That sounds really, really hopeful. And I think in my experience of, of the symposium, when these things get articulated, they come sort of further into being. Mm. And when a group gathers and finds a shared experience or, or some sense of community, it becomes real in a similar way that, you know, without those events, without those prompts, it's just potential. It's yeah. not, it's not a real thing, but I think we need these openings now more than ever. Yeah. And there's just so much isolation and, and to, to have these spaces, it's, it's really meaningful. Yeah. Um, I
1: must, I must say it's terrifying. I mean, I feel that there's a lot at stake personally and I'm, I'm, pretty much permanently terrified of getting it wrong and um, upsetting somebody or alienating somebody but I feel it's more important to to take the risk and in a way that's I think the only way that you can make change or create a space is by taking a risk and by creating what you perceive is needed and then I guess adapting it as you go along, um, but for sure, the work is not done. We're right at the beginning.
0: Um, should we talk a little bit about the piece you're gonna be doing on Tuesday on the 20th? Um, or what, I mean, I, I don't know how many pieces or what, what will you be doing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it's a secret. Um, well, actually what I can tell you is that um, it's not even really a work in progress. It's like a a test of a fraction of a work in progress with a composer called Luke Nicol. So we're making a piece um, that will eventually be performed at the Huddersfield Contemporary Music Festival in November. And we're taking the opportunity at eavesdropping to test um, roughly one third of it. It will be the first time that we've been in a room together with the material because we've done all the development of it over Zoom and we may well do two test runs I think given it's quite short and given it's a good opportunity to put it through its paces and actually make some sounds and see what we think about that. Um, So that's one thing and then I'm going to do another piece which... um, which is a piece that I first performed a couple of years ago and I never really quite felt that I got to the bottom of it so it's something that I'm dusting off to see what it feels like two years on in a body that's two years older um with a mind that is some somewhat different um yeah, so that's that's going to be interesting. That's uh I suppose a bit more personally and less practically motivated, but um I'm interested to see what comes out this time.
0: That's great. So so that was the secret. We'll we'll find out what it is then.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm still working on it, so I might change my mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have every right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm really excited to see how it how it takes form. And it's great to talk to you about the symposium and and everything that's coming up
1: thank you so much jenny i'm really very grateful to you for chatting with me and asking me excellent questions (laughs) um for the listeners jenny's sitting in boston and was indeed one of the presenters at the first symposium um but i haven't seen you for quite a while jenny so it's it's very nice to have the opportunity to catch up
0: uh it's great for me too thank you